if you have your Bible, uh, I want to open to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 20, uh, and uh, I'm excited to continue through this passage. Uh, we've been looking at this uh, 1 Timothy, it's a trustworthy sayings, this idea of uh, you know things that a dad would say to a son or a mentor would say to uh, his mentee. And uh, when I started thinking about you know kind of being younger, I remember... Um, uh, I remember thinking through sports in uh, in junior high and high school. That's when we really got to start playing them. Uh, and when I got into high school, I was I played football. I was pretty good at football. And then I, you know, they wanted us to do something else, right? And so I uh, went uh, to uh, join the track team. I know when you look at my this physique right here, you're thinking world-class sprinter. Usain Bolt, you better watch out. That was me. I was, a, uh, I was on the track team. Uh, I did it for the shorts, really. I, you know, I was like, can I get the shorter shorts possible that are against dress code? No, so we, uh, I, I tried out for the track team. I ran a little bit in middle school, uh, but uh, my body was changing, and I was getting faster, actually, and so I began to run. Uh, my freshman year, I looked at the coach, and I said, hey, uh, Let's don't lie to ourselves. I know I'm not going to be the fastest person out here. But what's the, what's the event that you think I can maybe do the best in? He goes, son, I think you can do hurdles. I said, sounds terrifying, but uh, let's give it a shot. And uh, my track coach uh, was a great man. He, he did not go easy on me by any stretch of the imagination. But he... Uh, he ran hurdles at UH, go Cougs, right? H-Town Takeover. If you saw that game yesterday, it was pretty amazing. Sorry, uh, OU people. But um, he showed me how to run track, and he showed me how to do hurdles, and he, showed me, and he showed me how to do them well. I, again, don't look like a sprinter. I got to letter three years in a row, my sophomore, junior, and senior year, uh, on the track team at Pearland High School. It's not like it was a bunch of uh, you know, schmucks that we're going up against. Uh, it, was a, it was a real program. And I got to run hurdles. And I remember my senior year. It was the first meet of my senior year. And I thought, this is my year to, to potentially do great things, right? I had, on sub-varsity, I'd won some meets, you know, got gold medals and stuff like that. Uh, but I hadn't ever got a gold medal um, at a meet on, on the varsity level. And us Americans, we're kind of arrogant, right? You watch the Olympics, and you're like, ah, silver medal. They're dead to me, right? Like, if it's not gold, if you're not the champion, like, you need to work harder. Not that, that any, and it doesn't process in our mind that any other, you know, nation should be able to win gold. We should be able to win gold in whatever we are currently watching, right? And so, I mean, we all have that mentality, right? I wanted to win gold medal, and so my senior year, it was the first meet of the year. We're at Deer Park. I remember this like it was yesterday. I, uh, I, we, we did through the prelims, I, and I had a really good time, and I got um, the priority lane. I, I, I um, qualified number one for the finals. This was the 300 hurdles, because it was far enough that the, that the sh- shorter sprinter people, they didn't want to race that because it was kind of hard. Uh, and so I kind of got to weed out some of the really fast people. And I, uh, I got in the blocks, right? And, and, I'm, and I'm ready. I have my hands down. And the 
the gun goes off and I start running. And I don't know what had possessed me that day, but I was running faster than I had ever ran before. I was hitting the hurdles perfectly, uh, not messing up a stride, not having to stutter step. And I turned the corner for the home stretch and there was one guy in front of me and he was only about two steps. And I hit the second to last hurdle and I started gaining on him. I was like, this is it. There was like some girls right by the uh, finish line. I'm like, this is gonna be amazing, right? And so I, I hit, I hit that, that home stretch and I'm running and I'm catching them. I'm catching them every step and I get to that last hurdle and he stutter steps and I'm like, I'm gonna go for it. I'm gonna pass him on this last hurdle and I'm gonna win the gold. I jumped and the hurdles were about this high. And apparently, I jumped about that high. Didn't quite make it over the hurdle in the last one. Um, the next thing I know, I saw sky track, sky track, sky track. I did about three forward rolls. I bear crawled against the, across the line and like jumped, like asphalt all on my face. And I ended up not winning, obviously, the gold medal because uh, I took my eye off the prize and I was so disappointed. I had the opportunity to win gold and I ended up getting bronze. And uh, I would love to tell you that I redeemed myself the next week, but you know what? That was the closest I was to winning a gold medal my whole entire track career uh, on the varsity level was that day. And um, we are so riveted by that gold medal. We're so riveted by this idea of a champion. And so what I want us to think about today is this. All of the hard work that it takes to be a champion, all of the effort that it takes to be a champion, we, uh, we love to praise. We love to praise. Uh, but today, our text is written by a champion, Paul, the Apostle Paul, uh, this man who started all of these churches, who wrote tons of letters in the New Testament, this Paul, he is a champion, but it's not in something that you might think. He won the gold medal, uh, and he says it here in this chapter, he won it in sinning. He is the number one greatest sinner. When we think of Paul, we don't necessarily think of gold medal champion sinner, but this is the Paul that is writing to us right now, writing to Timothy as a dad writing to a son. He's not saying, hey, look at how great I am. He says, hey, son, I want you to know of all the sinners in the world, I am the greatest of them all. Not, as in, a good th- not in a good way, in a bad way. So let's open up this text and look at this. In verse 12, he says this, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to service. This is all good stuff, right? It sounds great. Verse 13, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and an insolent opponent, violent, basically. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. He basically says, listen up, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. 
But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were, in, uh, were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immoral, uh, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's stop right there and let's look at this. Basically, Paul says, hey, I am the gold medalist in sinning. So what I want us to do is kind of ask three questions of why he would look at this. Uh, and I, I, I hope as we process through this, it will be encouraging for you. But here I want to, I'm going to give you a, um, a note, um, a disclaimer, if you will. Most of us have heard a sermon of these likes. And we tend to turn our brains off. Oh, I know what he's going to say. We're all sinners, fallen short of the glory of God, and he loves us and he sent his son to die for us. I got that. Check that off. I, I got that one down on Awana. I'm good. I can just sit here and check Facebook during the sermon. That's, the, that's, the, that's exactly what the enemy wants you to do. That's exactly what the enemy wants you to think is, I got this under control. I can check out. I don't need to listen to God's word this morning. But I want you to fight the enemy. I don't want you to let him win this morning. I want you to give your ear to the word of the Lord this morning, not my word. Me and him have fought about this all week long. This is not my word. This is his word. I pray that it encourages you. So I want to ask you this question. Who are you? Who are you? This is the first question that I want us to look at in this passage. Who are you? Um, and really this kind of taking a little bit deeper. How do you view yourself? How do you view yourself? Do you view yourself as a religious person? Because uh, this is, you know, you think through Paul when he writes, because some of, some of you are hearing this and you're saying, hey, 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 I know that in Philippians, he doesn't say, hey, I'm a persecutor. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, a violent man. No, he goes on the other side of the coin and he says, hey, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I um, am a Pharisee. I'm, I'm zealous for the law of God. So why does he use that here? And then I'm a violent persecutor of the church when he talks to Timothy. Uh, I think there's these two different camps as it pertains to our view of ourselves, right? We uh, can be in the camp of trying to make ourselves look good in the eyes of the person looking at us in the mirror, basically, convince ourselves that we're a good person and then convince the people around us that we're a good person. Hey, I go to church every Sunday. I'm in a Sunday school class. You know what? I'm a, I'm a deacon at the church. When it comes to zeal, you know what? I've soul won all over this country. We try to convince ourselves and convince the people around us that we are a good person. Uh, but religion has nothing to do with a relationship with Jesus. Religion is about us. Like religion is about making sure that we have the right clothes on when we show up. We think about Jesus when he interacted with the people uh, in his day. He had a bunch of teenagers walking around with him, probably stinky fishermen, you know. And then he had the religious Pharisees and scribes following him around, looking at his every move, criticizing his every mood. And then he had these other people, these rebellious people that the religious people didn't like. 
Because there's really two kinds of people that, that approach Jesus. It's those who are religious and then those who are rebellious. And we see both sides of Paul's life. We see the religious side. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, but in this passage, he talks about the rebellious side. Hey, I was a persecutor of the church. I was a blasphemer. I was violent. Our perception is important because we can convince ourselves and those around us uh, of whatever we want them to see. We're really good at it now, aren't we? With Facebook, I can, conv- I can put only good things up there. You know, no one's ever saying, uh, you guys, I just got to confess, I sinned about 30 times today. Praise the Lord. We can convince people. We, we have this kind of self-preservation. What I want to encourage you is to don't be on the wrong side of this. How do you view yourself? When, um, when I think, uh, uh, me and my really good friend, uh, he lives downtown, and he is one of those guys who uh, will not use GPS to save his life, right? He knows how to get there, and he's going to get there, all right? So I'm in the car with him, and we're driving his Prius because he's really manly, and um, I love his Prius. I went with him to buy it, and so we're driving his Prius, and he's like, hey, we're going to this new place, this new restaurant. All right, cool. My wife and his wife are in another car with the kids, and they're, they're going a different way, and he's like, this way's faster. All right, I have no idea where we're going. I just know the name of this place, and so he's taking off, going through all these. He goes over this railroad tracks. I'm like, there's railroad tracks? And he said, I didn't even know about this. Underneath this, I'm like, hey, dude, we're in a bad part of town now. Like, what are we doing? He's like, no, this is a shortcut, and so he's going, and I'm like, taking all these turns left, right, right, left. I'm like, I that graffiti looks very familiar. Have we not passed that already on this trip? He's like, no, 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 no. I know we're exactly where we're going. And so I'm like, well, where are we going again? You know, I pull my phone out at this time and I'm like, uh, where are we going? I'm opening Google Maps. I'm like, okay, I type it in. I'm like, okay, well, it says it's that way and we're going that way. You sure you know where we're going? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's right around the corner. I'm like, hey, why don't you take a right here just, just for just for fun, see if I can figure out how to get there. And then I use the GPS on my phone to get us to our location. There are many people in this world, most of them have Y chromosomes that hate asking for directions, right? But you never, you can never find the place you're going uh, until you realize that you need some help getting there, right? You can't be found if you don't acknowledge that you're lost. He was just gonna force his way to the place he was going. Or he could say, hey, you know what? I don't know how to get there. Let me get some help from someone else. How do you view yourself? Are you gonna force yourself into the kingdom of God? Are you going to convince everyone else that's around you that you are a good person, that you go to church regularly, that your kids uh, can do all their verses in Awana, that you help out at the church? You're a deacon for crying out loud. Are you going to force your way into the kingdom of God? Are you going to say, hey, you know what? I... If we're going to be honest, I'm, a, I'm wicked in my heart. 
And I need Jesus and his grace to come and clean me every single day. And I'm not gonna try to convince the people around me that I'm a great person because you know what? The person that I need to be convincing is the Lord Jesus. And I know that the only way that I can convince him is by humbling myself and not trying to make my way into the kingdom. Because so many of us are really great at saying, oh, those rebellious people, hey, they need Jesus. But the person that interacted with Jesus the most and got the most pushback from Jesus was not the rebellious, it was the religious. And I'm sorry to, to say this here, while our pastor's not here, but if we're gonna think about who's religious in today, the, the finger is gonna get pointed towards us. We need to make sure that we do everything we can do to be more like Paul and say, you know what? I am a sinner and I need God's grace and forgiveness. I'm not gonna try to force my way there. I'm gonna ask for help. I'm gonna open up my arms. So we need to have a realistic perspective. We need to have a realistic perspective. Think about this. This is not Paul at the beginning of his ministry writing this letter to Timothy. This is Paul at the back end of his ministry, had already planted multiple churches, had already mentored multiple church planters, and he's writing to his mentor, his son figure, and he begins to, to confess. He had a realistic perspective. He said, Paul, I am the foremost. I am the gold medalist of sinning. Do you think he, this is a false humility? Is he trying to do this for a point? Or does he really believe this? I've been thinking about that all week long. As I've been looking at this passage, and, and for a couple of months, as Trent said, hey, it looks like you're going to be preaching this passage, I began to look, is, he, is this just like a false humility? Because, you know, those in the church, man, they know exactly the words to say to make people think that they are headed in the right direction. It's just this sense of false humility. But I begin to look at this passage, and if you look at it with me, I would appreciate that. In verse 15, he says, this is a trustworthy saying. He's basically saying, hey, pay attention. that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. That's important, that last phrase. I am the foremost. Does he say, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners and I was the worst of them all? No. This is Paul, end of his life, had already planted churches. Hey, Jesus Christ, he came into the, to the world to save sinners and I am a present tense word. I am the foremost. That floored me when I began to really look at that and begin to think of the implications. If Paul, of all people, humbled himself enough to write to his son and say, hey, you know what? I am the foremost. I am the chief of sinners. Jesus Christ came and he, he sacrificed his life on Calvary because of the wicked life that I live, not lived, live. That floored me. That floored me when I really began to think about what that means.
Remember in Acts uh, chapter 9, Paul's headed to Damascus to persecute Christians. This is where he's coming from, right? He's headed to Damascus to persecute Christians, to, to arrest them and to, to, to put them into jail. He's headed to Damascus, and there's a voice from the heavens that come and say, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Not my people, me. Jesus Christ calls Paul out for not persecuting his people, for persecuting him. He was blinded by that realization. And his life was forever changed by that realization. And I believe that what he is saying is, hey, I... I've done some stuff in my past that I regret. And you know what? I, used, I persecuted Jesus and his bride. And I'm a bad person for that. But I'm still desperately in need of a Savior. Reality TV came out. Uh, the first ever recorded uh, or uh, reality TV show was called An American Family in 1973. And since then, there's been multiple iterations of reality TV, right? MTV capitalized on this with the real world, but now you flip through the channels and it's difficult not to find a reality TV show. I begin to think about this. And uh, we, a lot of the stars in reality TV, they they uh, deserve what they're getting, right? They, they signed up for it. Um, but I, I want to be honest with you guys. There is not a number that you could convince me that will make me want to sign up for reality TV. The only way I would sign up for reality TV is if I got executive producer privileges, right? Because I want to make sure you don't put my business out on the street. Because I know the things that go through my head. And I know the things that I do when no one else is looking. And I honestly don't want you guys to know that. This is what Paul's talking about. We think we know them. And you might think you know the people that are sitting in your circles. But the reality is we're way worse off than we let on. The thoughts, what goes on inside of our heart, and we are wicked. We are wicked. Here's the beauty of it all. Here is the beauty of it all. Every time Paul talks about his life, whether it's his religious side or whether it is his rebellious side, he always talks about his life and then talks about the gospel. He always talks about his life and then he talks about grace. It's the grace of God that has forgiven me of the things that I've done wrong, whether it's his religiosity or whether it's his rebellion. It's the grace of God that has changed my life. It's not like I pulled my bootstraps up and I made this happen. It's God's grace is the reason I'm here. And so what is grace? It's this word that we throw around in the church. 
Um, for me, the picture of grace um, is this phrase, God has given what we need, not what we deserve. Wayne Grudem defines grace as uh, God's goodness towards those who deserve only punishment. But, but it's God has given us what we need, not what we deserve. And I think so often we, we take for granted this, that this idea that he knows what is best for us. Some of us, uh, we began to follow Jesus at a young age. And some of us took a little bit longer. We got to make a couple more mistakes than everyone else before we came to begin to really follow Jesus. Why is that? Because God gives us exactly what we need when we need it. That is grace. It's a loving father knowing what's best for his son and what's best for his daughter. No, no, no. The prodigal's walking away from home. Here's your inheritance. Go. Why? Because he knew that that son needed to walk away in order to see what he's missing at home. What is grace? It's God giving us what we need, not what we deserve. And I'm, great, I'm grateful for that. Because you know what we deserve? is to be called to account for every wicked action that we have done, that we have said, or that we have thought. And that sounds terrifying to me. I wouldn't want you guys to know that, let alone uh, all of eternity to know that. And so, not every person has this road to Damascus moment like Paul did. But God gives us what we need when we need it. He pours out grace on us. And our eyes are open to that grace exactly when we need it. Paul, it took him a while of living in this religious world, but eventually he came to fall in love with Jesus. And that's why he pours out grace. And the longer we live, the longer we live, the more grace we use. I think we often think about, um, we often think about, hey, God's forgiven me of my sins. And, and when I entered into the kingdom of God and said that prayer or whatever you did, that he poured out all of this grace on us. But the reality is the longer that you walk with the Lord, the more grace that he has to pour out on you because the more and more we have to fight against our own uh, pride and wickedness. He said uh, that he acted ignorantly in unbelief before he was a Christian. But now that he is a Christian, he is the foremost of all sinners. God, God pours out grace on us as we enter into the kingdom of God. But we're constantly consuming grace as we walk around the kingdom of God. I think we need to understand that. 
I don't think we need to take pride in ourselves that, hey, we have figured it out how to live this life the way we need to. We need to say, no, no, it's because of God's grace that I'm taking this step. It's because of God's grace that I'm thinking this thought, that I'm able to say these words, that I'm able to be in community with other people. It's because of God's grace. Because if it wasn't for God's grace, we would be wandering around the world looking for something to fill that void in our life that only God can fill. It's because of his grace that we are where we are, and he has to constantly pour this out on us. The good news is there's more grace in Christ than sin in you. The quote by uh, the Puritan Richard Sibbs, there's more grace in Christ than sin in you. We need to celebrate that. We need to rejoice in that because here's, here's, uh, here's what I want you to think about is we often think if we uh, are honest with the people around us and we show our own sinfulness and our depravity to the people around us, that people are going to look at us like we're terrible people and they're not going to trust us and all these kinds of things. This is what I want you to know. Because you might be thinking, who wins? Who wins in this? If we're talking about a gold medal, who wins? Well, there's two, uh, there's two camps that win. The first person is the world's best sinner. The gold medalist in sinning is now part of the kingdom of God. He is saved. She is saved. That's good news. Paul turned from a persecutor of the church to a proclaimer of the good news. The Bible calls us in our sinfulness enemies of God. Fighting for the wrong team. Pledged our allegiance to the wrong God. And the gospel comes in, and for those who put their faith and trust into Jesus, that they can't do it on their own, but it's only because of what God has done for us that we can be made right with God. That, that uh, So often we think we go from enemy to this person that is now neutral in the kingdom, that now I get in because my sins are wiped clean. But that's not the gospel. The gospel isn't, hey, you once were an enemy of God and now you are made right with God. That is not the full gospel. The full gospel is you once were an enemy of God and through the blood of Christ, you are made right with God. But because you are now, um, you, you have exchanged your life for Christ's life, that his, uh, his sonship for your sinfulness, you're not only Made you're not only go from an enemy to being made right, you go from enemy to a son and a daughter of the king. This is grace that you once were fighting for the wrong team, now you are royalty, and this is grace. He gave us what we need, not what we deserve. You know who wins in that? We win, but also he wins. Because he gets to show his kindness and mercy towards us who deserve none of it. What great news. What a great testimony for the world to see is that Jesus gets the glory. He's able to display his perfect patience. So our testimony and this word from Paul is not that he is bad, but that God is good. Because bad doesn't even begin to describe us. But God, he is good. 
When our gospel is one where our efforts got us to where we are, Jesus Christ doesn't get any of the glory. But when we are honest about ourselves and we get to see our true selves, Jesus gets all the glory for pouring out grace on us. We live in an environment where um, we're only willing to show people around us our strengths. Even when we talk about our weaknesses, we talk about our strongest weakness. We hide it. We hope it's never exposed. The gospel is that even though God, uh, even though God knows that we're a gold medalist in sinning, he came down from heaven to sacrifice his life for you. He exchanged his perfect life for your imperfect life. His perfection for our punishment. And that's what we come to celebrate this morning. As we take communion, we look at his body that was broken for us. He took the punishment that only I deserved. And then we get to see the blood that was shed on our behalf to make us right with God so that not only we can go from enemies to became, becoming right, but that, so we can go from enemies to sons and daughter of the king. When we take communion, that is what we're celebrating is God's grace. We're celebrating our chief of sinners, our gold medal in sinning that we carry around our necks proudly, just like all the Olympians walk around proudly with their medals displayed. We proudly display this medal because that medal shows God's goodness towards us who deserve only punishment. And as we take this bread and this juice, we remember his body was broken because of that medal that I wear around my neck. And his blood was shed so that I might not have to bear that weight. He did. Praise God for that. As the, uh, as the band comes back up and leads us in worship, and as you prepare your hearts for uh, communion today, I want you to think about this. Whether you are in the religious camp or whether you are in the rebellious camp, God's grace is extended to you freely. His life was sacrificed for yours. But don't check out just because you think you've heard this sermon before. Because every day is a new day, full of our wickedness, full of our sinfulness, and full of his grace being poured out on us. And let's celebrate that as we take communion. Let me pray for us.